Welcome back to another edition of the Changemaker Podcast. I'm your host, Deke Copenhaver. Today, my guest is Jane Ubel Meyer. Jane has been a successful television and film producer and entrepreneur. She comes from three generations of entrepreneurs. She learned how to build businesses by following her father at a very young age to trade shows, working side by side in his office and augmenting her work ethic from her years at Good Morning America, Entertainment Tonight, Wall Street Journal Television, Hearst Magazine, and as a film producer in Hollywood. In August 2017, Jane created Bedside Reading, an innovative program placing books by the bedsides in luxury motels, hotels, and in the media. The goal being to help expand an author's fan base and to promote an author's book in the media. Her bedside reading portfolio includes 22 hotels, including the Waldorf Astoria, Mandarin Oriental, and Fairmont Brands, among others. Jane lives in Stamford, Connecticut with her husband. She's also an abstract painter and has appeared in group and solo shows in New York City, Mount Kisco, New York, Beverly Hills, California, Santa Monica, California, Bridgehampton, New York, Stamford, Connecticut, and Hamburg, Germany. And that's just like a brief sampling of your bio. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my friend and partner, Jane Ubelmeyer. Welcome to the Changemaker Podcast, hosted by Deke Copenhaver. Deke is the author of The Changemaker, a Forbes publishing book that has reached number one on Amazon on multiple occasions and in multiple categories like management skills and total quality management. During this podcast, Deke interviews exceptional change-making leaders. Deke currently operates Copenhaver Consulting, where he helps local governments and other public organizations maximize their potential. He's also a sought-after public speaker. We hope that the changemaker has an impact on you today and that you find takeaways that make you a better leader in your life. Now, here's Deke. Thank you, Deke. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm so happy that you have another platform besides the changemaker to talk about leadership and all that you do for people. Well, I, I'll tell you, Jane, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I've been waiting for this moment with bated breath, I would say. <laughs> But we were able to connect a few years ago, but I, I just, for our listeners, and I, I always want people to get takeaways, but I think everybody has a wonderful story to tell. So you've been a producer, you've been in Hollywood. How did you get started in that industry? And then I'll segue into how you started Bedside Reading. So what a great question. People haven't asked me that in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually, it all goes back to helping people. When I was in college, um, I had a very best friend and he brought his girlfriend from New York to Colorado for the weekend. Turns out that uh, weekend did not go as planned. Um, I think he realized his uh, sexuality that weekend and it wasn't towards the female persuasion. And she came to me, you know, totally devastated and upset. And I really helped her through the weekend because he was one of my best friends and she was a lovely woman and we really bonded. Cut to a couple years later, I got my very first job in television as a producer's assistant working on those schlock record offer commercials. It was hilarious. And after three months, I was fired and that was devastating for me. And I was fired really because the producer uh, had a fiance and you know when you're young and 22 and spending 18 hours a day on location in Montauk doing commercials her her imagination 
got away from her and suspected something was going on, nothing was going on. And um, so I was abruptly fired and in order for him to keep the relationship going and I'm cry literally crying. My first job I'm fired from, I'm walking down Fifth Avenue in New York City sobbing because I had never been fired, I'm 22. And literally I get bumped on the shoulder by a woman on the street and she says, we both say, excuse me. And she looks at me and she says, Jane? And I said, yes. She goes, Lynn, her name was Lynn Hare. And she goes, I spent the weekend sobbing in your dorm room in Colorado College. And what are you doing? And I was crying and I said, I just got fired from this job. <laughs> and she said to me, why don't you come back to my office with me and be an intern at Good Morning America? Literally, it was a bump on the street. And that changed my entire life. And I went back to her office at Good Morning America and I interned and then I became a receptionist. Then I became the transportation coordinator. Then I became a researcher and a writer and was producing entertainment segments and booking celebrities. And that kind of took my whole career into that, you know, television, Hollywood projector trajectory, you know, course. That's a, an amazing story and one that I've not heard yet, no. but 22 years old. But I, I love, and in leadership, usually people can have those stories of what, you know, set you on the trajectory that you were on as far as your career goes. But I think one of the things about leadership, too, and you are, I mean, for our listeners, our viewers, you are an amazing leader. Bedside reading, your, your authors are family. It's, yeah. You've created this amazing culture. But and one of the things that I think about good leaders is they aren't afraid to take a risk. So you're an entrepreneur raised by yes. an entrepreneur and, and, but you took a leap of faith at a certain point in your life and you sort of walked away from the, I mean, you're still in the entertainment industry, but just started your own business, which is a, an amazing entrepreneurial endeavor. So, um, actually what I'll tell you what happened. Um, it's always, I think sometimes, you know, family dynamics and fate uh, interplay. And for me, what happened was that actually started uh, my entrepreneurial endeavors uh, back. I was a TV producer for many, many years and um, I was at Entertainment Tonight and uh, I wanted to uh, go from TV to movies. And I actually started um, a management company as a, and a producer um, and I actually started producing movies first. So when you're a movie producer, that is a extremely risky and B, um, it can be very rewarding, which it, it, which it was and has been for many years. And you're also being an entrepreneur. So you start every production that you do is like a new business and that, so I kind of had that beginnings years and years ago after leaving television. I then after leaving television uh, in LA, after leaving Entertainment Tonight and I started a production company, I made three movies. I actually came back to New York and I started, went back to TV, to Wall Street Journal TV and created a talk show for them. And as of course, as fate have it, would have it, um, a company bought the TV station and I, after I had developed the show and the show was on the air and successful, 
you know, again, I had to start up again. And I, at, a, at a certain age, I just could not go after and get a job. I just, I didn't have it inside of me. Um, I did, after the TV show actually uh, was bought and the, the whole station went under, I did get a job at Hearst Magazines for um, quite a while. And that was great, but it's still corporate America. And I needed to be, those entrepreneurial juices really started going. And I started a company called, um, actually the Jane Group. I remember this for three years. I had a partner named Jane. We were two Janes and we both were in PR together for a short while. It wasn't my thing, but I learned a lot. Uh, of course, over the years, you know, every time you create another business or you go into another business, all the things that you learned before, you know, all the experiences that you had, they are cumulative. So when I went and I built the Jane Group, it was very, very, very successful right away in New York City. We were one of the top beauty um, PR companies. And then 9-11 hit and everything, everything imploded. And then starting right after 9-11, a friend of mine said to me, a beauty editor, said to me, you know, Jane, somebody could make a lot of money if they created um, gift bags and they placed the gift bags in the Hamptons on the Hampton Jitney. And the reason why she said that is because when we were doing beauty PR, and this is in back in 1999 and the year 2000 and 2001, we would have events for our clients and we would have these cute little tote bags with lots of makeup samples. And nobody was doing that then. At least nobody was monetizing it then. And we weren't either. But she did have the idea of actually monetizing this. So I started a company with her called Buzz Bags and we started placing books and products in the Hamptons. And that evolved into another company uh, called Madison and Mulholland. And we were the one of the, the first companies in the world to actually monetize that celebrity gifting world. And there was another company in LA doing it actually parallel to us if we were in New York. And we collaborated on a few events and we ended up placing products and books and, um, you know, makeup and diamond watches and trips to Cozumel and um, around the world to we'd place these gifts and give them to celebrities at the uh, Oscars, at the Grammys, at the Emmys. And that industry was really built uh, by my company and another company. And we were the world leaders literally doing this. And then back in, I guess, 2010, 2011, the world exploded and everybody and their mother started doing this. And I ended that industry business in 2017. Uh, my best friend, uh, you know, it's funny how fate kind of shifts you in a new direction. My best friend, Noreen had passed away from, um, breast cancer and she, uh, and I always were very spiritual and very loving and very kind. And when she passed, it really was devastating for me. And I actually stopped what I was doing and I took a deep breath and I said, I'm not happy. And what should I do next? And I would speak to her, even though she was on the other side. And I believe that her energy and her spirit is around me all the time. And I said, okay, Noreen, what should I do next? And literally like the next morning I woke up and I heard bedside reading. And I decided that I was going to explore this concept and I did. And 
we started with uh, placing books in luxury hotels. And our first hotel was the Mandarin Oriental in New York City. And the first book that I had was um, Simon, uh, sorry, Salman Rushdie's The Golden House. So it's a great wow. way to start a business with a top best-selling author by Random House and a top, um, you know, five-star luxury hotel. And then so Bedside Reading evolved into placing books around the country in luxury hotels. And, you know, we, we started, I started this exactly on August 15, 2017. And now, then when COVID hit, you know, we took a big shift and um, I had to rethink things. And now I'm really, really excited that we have a digital program because everything, everyone needs to be cognizant of our carbon footprint. And so now we're in placing digital eBooks, audiobooks, meditations, podcasts in luxury hotels around the country. In fact, your book has been in our hotels for a while and your podcast is soon going to be in all of our hotels. Did you know that? Yeah. You don't even know that yet, do you? I, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> no. I've seen your podcast in our hotels. Breaking so news. Breaking but that's, news. Right? But you, this I, podcast will be at the um, Waldorf Astoria Beverly Hills, Waldorf Astoria Chicago, and the Fairmont in Santa Monica, and the Aqualina in Florida, and all my other hotels. That is awesome. Breaking news. Breaking but, news. But Jane, I, I think... One of the things that you got back to that I'm, this is sort of what the podcast is about, that I enjoy helping people. Yes. As I know that you yes. do, and you talk about the spiritual aspect of what you do, but you have a servant's heart. And that is so apparent in what you do with Bedside Reading. As I say, your authors absolutely love you. But I want to get to the <clears throat> to COVID, and because we sort of went through that together. I, I joined yes. your program <laughs> in December of nineteen. That's and right. so things, the books were starting to go into hotels and yep. everything, and I'm excited. But then COVID. when COVID hit, people didn't want physical books anymore. So I saw you, you know, reinvent what you do and go to a digital platform. You didn't give up. And you saw, I mean, a lot of people could have, and a, a lot of people when COVID hit, it was frightening and it was scary, but you you just pivoted. And that that's a big, big part of good leadership, being able to pivot when situations change. So the, it's interesting that you say that. So first of all, I want to, this is kind of interesting. So I have a couple of points to make. Number one, my training as a TV producer, think about it. I'm at Good Morning America. It's a live TV show. And when a guest does not show up, you have to cover, it's live air. What are you going to do? So my training for so many years has been as a crisis management what do you do and how do you solve a problem instantly? It's not having 14 meetings and a lot of bureaucracy. You have to solve it like on the, you know, in the moment. So my training of solving problems really has helped me through COVID. The second thing I want to tell you, I have a philosophy and I think you know this and all my, I hopefully all of my authors know this is that my motto or my internal mantra is how can I help you? So if I'm thinking about this all the time, I always think, how can I help Deke? And it's not transactional. There are transactions that take place because we're a business and we need to actually pay payroll and make money and cover the overhead. But my business is not intrinsically transactional. 
And with so many uh, people today, everything's transactional and mine is not. And I would never let money interfere with helping anybody, ever. The only thing that would interfere with helping somebody is a subpar product. And I have my own theories and feelings about books that are, you know, I love independent authors and sometimes they just need me to like, you know, clonk them over the head saying, what are you talking (laughs) about? What kind of cover is this? So, but so going back to pivoting for COVID, it is in my DNA to solve a problem. It's in my DNA to pivot and shift on what is the in the best interest for my authors. I mean, when we, I never worked harder than I did in 2020 at Bedside Reading because it was 24 seven, how do I get this book out there? If the book is not going to be in the hotel room, what can I do to help promote that book? What can we do as a company? What can we do? Um, and you know, we did some fun things and we did, um, we did Zoom book clubs like at the Aquilina and you know we talked to the media and we put the books in other outlets and we did whatever we could and out of that crisis came well if they don't want physical books let's give them digital books and of course now you know hotels have come back and as we all know now the resort the world of five-star luxury and boutique hotels they're booked there may be another variant coming down the pike but these hotels that are resorts and five-star luxury hotels, they're booked with guests. And the kinds of guests that are going there, they actually are embracing the digital downloads. You know, it, it's interesting that you say that. And I think part of good leadership is to have a very broad worldview. And I remember I spoke to um, a potential author for you that was in another country, but said, well, I, and this was, you know, late last year, but they said, well, I don't know if I want to sign up for a program to put my book in five-star hotels that are closed. And I thought he, he's not taking a broad worldview because even at that point, you know, luxury hotels were booking up. It's, it's amazing the prices that they're charging these days, but, but so you kind of have to, you can't just look at the sliver of piece of property in front of you. You've got to take that broad worldview. But as you say, I mean, Luxury hotels are thriving at this point. They are. But, you know, I always tell people our program is not just about placing a book in a hotel room. Our hotel, our program is about getting the author visibility Mm -hmm. to these luxury, um, the guests visiting luxury hotels, to people in the media, to people listening to podcasts, to people um, that are accessing our newsletters and e-blasts. So it's not one thing, it's everything. It's layer, 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 layer. And the people that are working, our authors have to understand it's the whole, you know, the, the global look at a book is not one thing. You know, book marketing, yeah. you're an author, so you know this, book marketing is not one thing. And it's, it's everything and it's working every single day doing something new to help promote your book. Whether the exactly. book is a novel or the book is, you know, nonfiction or a memoir, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. As an author, their job is to get as many eyeballs to that book cover as possible. And that's probably why 
I am such a stickler for a book cover. You know, I could, I've had book covers. I made a couple of mistakes, you know, as we all do in business. Um, I once had a book cover that was so horrible. My gut said, turn this down. But the story was so compelling that it overrode my initial feelings. And I placed that book in a five-star luxury hotel in California. And I was embarrassed. And I don't ever want to be embarrassed again. So I will never do that again. If the book cover isn't fabulous, it's not going in my program. Well, and it's it's interesting too that that I agree with you, and it's sort of with the podcast. I'm like I'm I'm not too concerned with making money at this point, but it's the quality of the content. Yes, and you've helped provide me with amazing guests, and at, but it really and it, it's interesting too. I think. Part of being a good leader is keeping an open mind and listening to people. I've made mention to you before we came on, you've helped me to become a better speaker because you've gotten me more focused and dialed in. But we had a marketing intern over the summer who I know you had a conversation with, Molly Eddings, 21 years old. And when we first taped, I think maybe the second podcast or the first one, she, I said, well, what'd you think, Molly? And she said, eh, it was interesting. I'm like, okay, we're redoing it because she's 21 years old and she listens to more podcasts than I do. So she has a much more knowledge of what works. And so that piece of advice has led us to developing better content and really focusing more on the quality. But had I not listened to that 21 year old and people would say, well, you know, she doesn't even have a college degree yet. I'm like, yeah, but she knows what she's talking about. Right. I mean, certainly, you know, Growing up in this world of media and instant access has changed all of our perspectives on what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, when you're a leader, I have, you know, we have eight people on my team. And I always say that I work with people, they don't work for me, we all work together. And I, exactly. and I try to listen to the individual, um, the, the suggestions from each individual. Of course, I, you know, making my own decisions. But I think that um, it comes with experience to understand in your gut whether something is somebody's right on target. If they're gonna, if if what Molly said resonates, you're smart enough and old enough to say, "Hey, this is somebody that has a good opinion and something I need to pay attention to," and then take action. So, I mean, it, thing about leadership is that I. I actually don't even like management. I don't like managing people. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I just don't. I'd rather be with my clients and helping them individually. And I'd rather somebody else do the management of my team. And it's not that I don't like them. I love every single one of them. And they all have great attributes and they're lovely people. They're awesome. But the management of, as a leader, to manage everybody is exhausting for me. It's draining yeah. because maybe because I'm worried all the time or I'm thinking about them all the time and that is draining. I, I prefer, and this I'll tell you what keeps me up at night, not my team because I'm dedicated to them and they feel it. But what keeps me up at night is I think to myself, did I do enough for Deke today? <laughs> did I, and I have a lot of clients. So I'm like counting sheep. I'm counting my authors. Did I do enough? 
for Mary Jo? Did I do enough for, you know, Norman? Did I do enough for this one or that one or Aura? I think about them all the time. And, you know, maybe that makes me a little bit over the top, a little crazy. I don't know. But that's what I think about as a leader of my company. I think about my, my customers, my clients, my authors. And I, I guarantee you, you, I mean, you have done more for me than anybody possibly could. And I just appreciate you. But I, I think you're touching on something. And you said that, you know, what you do is not transactional. And I think part of good leadership is it's got an altruistic bent to it, that you're not just doing this, what's in it for me. Right. And I, I think that that really connect I mean that organically connects you to the people that work with you you know it's it's funny that you said that years ago I had a par business partner who I adore by the way who said to me once I was going to date some guy I don't remember I was in my you know 30s I was single and he said why are you dating him he can't help you and I was like oh Oh my God, I never, like, that is a really weird way to look at life. And I yeah. never forgot that, obviously. And I thought to myself, that's not who I am. I am not transactional like that. I don't look at why I should be friends with somebody because they could do something for me. That's never been my thing. It's always about, you know, do I resonate with them? Are we spiritually compatible? Uh, do we have the same outlook? Are we both feeling the that we should help people. I mean, that's what helped. That's why you and I are such good friends and we become such good friends because we have that same kind of spiritual outlook. We look, we look at things the same way. And my husband as well, Rick and I are exactly on the same page because that's the way we view our lives. I mean, he is the nicest human being on the face of this earth, my husband, and he is always there to help other people. You know, and, and that's, that to me, somebody asked me last week, you know, what, what would be your focus on having as a guest? Who would be your best guest? I said, I've had, you know, a 21 year old young lady who just published her first book on leadership. I've had, you know, our friend Dov Barron. I've had Fuzzy Zeller. I've got Bob Crawford, the bass player for the Avid brothers coming up. But I said, I just want good people who have a servant's heart, who are trying to make a difference in the world. And so if you fit within that category, which obviously you do, then you're welcome to come on my show. But if you're just negative and want to talk about the problems of the world, you know, we can talk about problems, but let's talk about solutions. And that's what you said, you know, when you were a producer, it's every day you're trying to make things happen and trying to fix problems. But, but the fact that you care so much about your authors, it, it shows. Well, and, and, it's, and it's keeping me up at night. And I'm sorry that it keeps you up at night. It does. Well, yes. Jane, we're starting to get towards the close because I know, you know, former producer, you want people short and sweet. People right, have takeaways. Right. But what, I and it has been such a blessing getting to know you, but what really makes you smile any given day and does your heart, fills your heart with joy? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, what fills my heart with joy? Well, a couple things. Number one. Clearly, um, I am, I have a great family and my dad, who's just turned 90 this in August, it calls me every day with two or three jokes. So I'm hysterical, but what makes me really smile and really fills me, what I can tell him a joke 
So I can, it's not that I'm getting him, but I just, when I can make my dad laugh, who's 90, I like that fills my heart with joy. Um, so, and also, um, when I've seen that I've done a really great job for somebody and I feel it inside of me, that makes me happy and joyful. Um, but other than seeing that, um, my family is happy and I know that's sort of such a cliche, but you know, that makes me happy. It just, it fills my heart with joy. I'm also a painter and I'm a knitter and I'm in the arts. So that kind of outlet really does fill my heart as well. So Jane, where can people find you? Very easy. Um, we have a website called bedsidereading.com and I would be very pleased to offer every guest that you have and every listener that you have um, complimentary, uh, our collection of complimentary books. And if you go to bedsidereading.com slash brgift, that's brgift, you will, can get access to our collection for this quarter. It's about 10, 10 books, I believe we have, audiobooks, ebooks. Uh, everything from business leadership to children's and thrillers and um, memoirs. So it's, it would be my pleasure to offer this to any of your listeners. Well, Jane, I will tell you, it has been a pleasure having you as a guest. And I will tell you one last thing about good leadership. It's the power to inspire. So working with you throughout COVID, you helped keep me going, keep um, <clears throat> keeping me motivated. You inspired me. You were a part of inspiring me to do this podcast. So I just want to say thank you for you. It's my pleasure. And I'm so excited to keep listening. And I can't wait to see, hear about your next chapter. And I'm hoping there's another book in there. There, there will be. <laughs> okay, guys, dropping the mic and we are out.